So, um, waiting on God. So last week we left Babylon, for those of us who were were there, and this week we're starting a new three-part series um, on waiting on God. Now, I wanted to start just with a a little story, really. Um, About six weeks ago, six, seven weeks, I was down the garden having a prayer morning, and uh, I had another one of my um, funny turns. (laughs) And they seem to be happening whenever I'm down the garden. God is kind of speaking to me about various things. Anyway, um, I was praying about threshold and all the new life that's sort of emerging in different places. And uh, I was praying also about, you know, where do we go over the next few months to kind of really accelerate this growth? And then as I was praying, um, I felt God uh, put a phrase into my mind, which was, um, good things come to those who wait. And at first I thought, oh, that's great. That must be from Proverbs or Psalms or somewhere. So I tried to look it up and it wasn't there. And then I realised, actually, it's from the Guinness advert. <laughs> Do you remember when, uh, you know, the beer's settling and the head forms? And I was thinking, oh, I really want a kebab now. <laughs> anyway, um, that phrase really resonated with me. And I know it resonates with a lot of you who are sort of sensing that actually, if it's really important that we only do what God is actually calling us to do, rather than just getting ecclesiastically busy. You know, all the stuff that Pete put up there is not just filling time. It's actually responding to what they think God is actually asking them to do. And that's where, really, I want us to sort of think about um, today. Anyway, while I was down the garden, I was sort of um, doing that thing, you know, when you pray and you sort of, you know, mess about. I I can't stay still when I pray. So I was down the garden and I was kicking a load of leaves. And um, as I was kicking some leaves, I I noticed there's a little bit of plastic on the floor. So um, I sort of bent down and picked it up. And I noticed, um, I've got a photo of it here. It's a pop balloon and on it it said, um, don't go, we beg you. (laughs) So I feel like God was sort of confirming (laughs) The fact that, you know, we are to wait. Let's wait on him. Uh, And at first I thought, well, what about the we bit? But then I realised, actually, God is three persons, isn't he? So theologically, that balloon um, is okay. But this isn't the first time that God's spoken to Threshold through a balloon. (laughs) Do you remember Pete telling the story of um, going off on an adventure and uh, following God and then finding a balloon that confirmed something about sort of pioneer communities, which is just uh, really, really good. So this morning, for the next two Sundays, we're going to unpack what it means to maintain a posture of first and foremost a counter in that adoration. And then we'll explore what it means to be willing to join in with his mission, to tread the path less trodden, and to see springs of life burst out in all of the communities that we're in. And we'll celebrate the adventure that awaits on following the Holy Spirit beyond Sunday mornings and into ways of doing church that are incarnational, not institutional, which are relational, not restrictive, and which thoroughly say yes to Jesus. Is everyone up for that? So if I had to summarise where I think we are as threshold at the moment, um, it would be this clip. Go for it, Nigel. Be careful, both of you. The enemy has many spies in his service. Birds, beasts. Is it safe? Never put it on, for the agents of the Dark Lord will be drawn to its power. Always remember Frodo. The ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. 
This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Oh, isn't that good? <laughs> so 25 years ago, 25 years ago, Threshold left home. And it started on a path that few had been uh, treading. And uh, if each and every one of us today, individually as a church, just take one more step, we'll be the furthest away from home than we've ever, ever been before. And that's why we've got to, to be close to him. Okay, so, Nigel, uh, what does it mean to wait on God? Uh, one before, Nigel. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do the... Uh, we're going to look at adoration, encounter, and adventure. And, um, yeah, so the next one. So in the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, the most common word used for wait is this Hebrew word, kavar. And, um, you know, sometimes, if you know languages, when you translate a, a word from one language to another, sometimes it loses a lot of its meaning and its significance. And kavar, wait, is one of those words. So in the English, the dictionary says something like, waiting means stationary or inactive, or to wait on a table, a bit like a waiter serving someone. But that's not really the kind of waiting that kavar um, means. It has a literal and a figurative meaning. So literally, it means to bind together like a cord. So it's literally a picture of making rope when you weave and bind different strands together to make a strong rope. And a single strand or string doesn't have much strength. But when you've got lots of strands woven together, it can take an awful lot of tension. So there's a sense in which waiting on God involves us binding ourselves to his word, to his spirit, to uh, his humanity, to um, all the Bible says that Jesus is. It also involves us binding ourselves to each other, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to being together as community. So it's a bit like, um, uh, yeah, as you can see on the rope, you know, many strands come together. And we can do, um, we can take a lot more attention when we're bound into him. In a figurative sense, there's this sense of anticipation. So it's a bit like a kid before Christmas, you know, when there's an expectant waiting. It's not a, I'm just sitting here. It's like, I am hopeful that God's going to come through. I'm binding myself into the truths of who he is, but I'm also expecting great things from him. So waiting on God is very much an active thing. It involves prayer, listening, talking with others, dreaming, experimenting, getting lost, reflecting, remembering, researching, studying, resting, and a whole load of other things, doesn't it? So it's not a sitting around, it's a actively pursuing God. So these sort of definitions I think are really useful, but I think we actually need to ask the why. You know, why should we wait on God. If we had to boil it down to one simple answer, what do you think it would be? There's probably no wrong answer, so just shout some things out to me. Why, why should we wait on God? Because he knows stuff. Yeah? Wisdom. 
direction. Sorry, Christine. Puts you in your place. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? Yeah, gives you a chance to stick to God's timing. Yeah, these are all absolutely brilliant answers. I was thinking about this during the week, and I think the main reason that we should wait on him is because God wants us to know him and to enjoy him. He wants us to adore him because he adores us. Who knows the Westminster Catechism? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So now I want to take our minds on a bit of a cosmic uh, adventure. So please go a bit random. I don't know if you were one of those children who on a nice sort of warm summer's evening used to love lying on your back in the middle of a field and just looking up at the stars and kind of wondering and clouds and letting your mind just kind of go on an adventure. I did that with my kids last summer. We sat on our backs and we looked at shapes in the clouds and we asked questions about God and But I don't know about you, but when you grow up, you kind of lose that sense of wonder a bit, don't you? I mean, I don't know about you, but I spend most of my days wondering about fairly insignificant things like, where do all my plectrums go? I mean, where do they go? Or, you know, when you go to a movie, which armrest is yours? (laughs) Do prison buses have emergency exits? How come you never see billboard signs being put up on the roadside? Anyone ever seen it? I haven't. Or if you see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant, what do you do? (laughs) Or if someone, how do you respond to somebody who says you're in denial but you're not? (laughs) Or is it true that cannibals don't eat clowns because they taste funny? (laughs) They're the sorts of things that I spend my time wondering about and they trouble me. (laughs) Anyway, but have you ever looked up at the sky and wondered, what was God doing before Genesis verse 1? You know, in the beginning, God created. So, and that is, they're the sort of questions I love thinking about. What was God doing before he created? Because the Bible tells us, and the Bible also tells us that he's the ageless one, which is pretty accurate because scientists now know that you can't have space without time and you can't have time without space. So before God created space, there was no time. So God was, well, God was. <laughs> he was there for eternity before the world was created Um, But it's like, you know, what was he doing? Was he just sitting around? I don't think he was. You know, because we know that God is Trinity, don't we? God is three persons. Um, All have the same eternity, all have the same majesty, all have the same power. And uh, the theologian Wayne Grudem describes the Trinity as this. God eternally exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God and there is one God. It's a paradox, isn't it? You can't get your head around it. You know, we, we have little models where we think, well, water can be, you know, ice, steam, and um, liquid, but it doesn't quite capture who the Trinity is. But in the Bible, we get this amazing picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit just loving each other and just in a perfect relationship for an age that's outside of time. And then at some point, the Trinity... God, the Father, said, let there be light. And the world was created. And then we were created. And we were created so that we can have relationships. We can enjoy that uh, perfect triune love which we see in the Bible. And just to sum up the adoration, I think that is reason enough to adore God. That's our first and foremost posture. When we want to wait on God, it's that, God, I'm grateful that you created 
me to have a relationship with you. It's as simple as that. That's our starting point when we wait on God. That's where we've got to get to. So, but as we wait on God, we experience the encounter. Now, there's loads of great examples in the Bible, Old and New Testament, of encounters with God. Look at things through the lens of the New Testament. And I want to look at things through the lens of the encounter of the woman at the well uh, with Jesus. Because I think this gives us a really good example of what happens when you wait on God, you adore him, and then you experience the encounter. So first of all, when we encounter Jesus, it will often not be what we expected. So in the Bible, it says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. Now, this woman was surprised to see Jesus at noontime, sort of midday. Now, most people, because of the heat, would have drawn water in the morning or the afternoon. So she intentionally went to a place where she wasn't going to bump into people. And we read later on in the passage that this woman had a history, and it sounds like she had a sexual history. So she was probably trying to not bump into you know, people who've got it in for her. So she was ashamed in her situation. And she was surprised to see Jesus, not only because of the time of day, but also because Jesus was a Jew. And most Jews wouldn't interact with women like her because it would make them unclean. You know, most people would run a mile. But here we have Jesus sitting right beside her in, in the midst of whatever was going on in her life, putting aside all the rules and the religion and the regulation and just saying, can you get me a drink? And she probably wasn't thinking about much about God. You know, she wasn't expecting. At that point, she probably didn't even know that this, well, she didn't know that this was God. She was probably thinking, well, if I'm going to encounter God, it will be in the temple. It will be on a Saturday morning, or it will be through a hierarchy of priests. But actually, Jesus encounters her personally where she is, in the midst of her shame, in the midst of her weakness, and in the midst of her busyness. So as we wait on God, I think we should expect to encounter Jesus in unusual places. Get our eyes and our ears open to seeing God, not through a hierarchy of priests, not through church leaders necessarily, not through Sunday mornings, but out there in our everyday um, life. I know that when I've encountered Jesus, it's usually not what I've expected. You know, I'll often have set ideas or agendas, things that I want God to answer for me, problems to sort out, or even shame. But God just gives me more of himself when he encounters me, when I encounter him. Second thing, when we encounter Jesus, he tends to address questions we didn't need, know we needed answers. It's really frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> we ask God for things and then he replies with a question. He does it all the way through the New Testament. Lady, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, thirsty, or have to come here to draw water. Now, I love that response that the lady gives to Jesus. I mean, clearly, she doesn't quite get what he's saying. You know, she knows that she needs physical water in order to live. But she doesn't really have much of a clue that Jesus is talking about spiritual water, this living water. And that's because she was asking the wrong questions. Her words indicate to us that even after Jesus explained it, she still didn't quite get it. But what we do see is the very beginnings of an encounter in faith. She meets the living God. And as she begins to trust Jesus, um, you know, he says to her, um, what you can offer me. You know, she didn't, she, she knew that he didn't have a bucket. You know, she said, you know, you don't have a bucket. How can you have living water? Yet she turns around and says, I want what you're offering me. So there's an element of faith here. And I think this is the beginning of her encounter. So as we wait on God, I think he will change our perspective and he will lead us to ask the real questions and to seek living water, not the temporary things. You know, God, will you provide for, you know, this particular week financially, whatever it is? You know, he'll, he'll probably do that, but I think he'll address the bigger questions. You know, he'll lead us to the things that really need answering in our lives. And then thirdly, when we encounter to get to the heart of the matter, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you've no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amazing, isn't it? You know, the woman probably expected Jesus to turn around and condemn her. You know, under Old Testament law, you know, the religious leaders probably would have taken her out and stoned her to death. But Jesus, in his kindness, draws alongside her, sits next to her. He doesn't wash over the sin. He reveals it in a really gentle and a really loving way. And then he goes on to tell her who he is. It's a bit like, I mean, that's the Jesus that I've come to know. You know, when there's rubbish in my life, and there's always some rubbish, Jesus comes up and says, that thing, yeah, it's not the best way for you, but fix your eyes on me, and we'll sort things out. You know, that's the kindness of God. You know, when I was younger, um, our gifts of the Spirit wasn't really a much thing exercised. And then when I came to sort of more charismatic stuff, I was absolutely petrified that a prophet would one day, you know, sort of point you out, you at the back. <laughs> On Tuesday last week, you did. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, no, don't look at the preacher. Anyway, God's not like that, is he? He doesn't call us out like that. He is kind and he's merciful and he's gentle. And it, because Jesus was fully human, he understands the stuff that we're going through. And he's not going to call us out in front of a whole load of people will get alongside us and it'll help us to become more and more like him and then finally when we encounter Jesus we usually end up going off and telling other people about him water jar and went away into town and said to the people come see a man who's told me all that I ever did can this be the Christ they went out of the town and were coming to him many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony 
It's kind of self-explanatory, really, isn't it? When you encounter Jesus, you want to tell other people about him. You see, the woman clearly had some doubt in her mind. You know, she said, can this be the Christ? But she had a seed of faith. And with that seed of faith, she led many people to Christ. And that encourages me this morning in my doubts, in my, um, you know, my situation where I think, you know, oh, I don't know what God was doing before. And, you know, there's bits that I don't know about, you know, theology. But God said, it doesn't matter. You've met me. Just go and tell people. <laughs> you know, don't mess around. Just go and do it. Um, and it's just great, isn't it? I want the faith of that woman. I want to lead loads of Samaritans to Jesus. Okay, Anna and Ben, do you want to come up and just get ready? So finally, when we wait on God, we adore him. And when we adore him, we experience an encounter. It's unavoidable. I can guarantee you, if you wait on God, you will encounter Jesus. It's the encounter. We can't help but get caught up in the adventure. God's got an adventure for each and every one of us here this morning. No matter whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or whether in the last five minutes you thought, actually, I think there might be something in this. I want to explore it that little bit more. You know, we're all on a journey. Wherever you are this morning, God has got an adventure for you. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, gives us one of the most famous passages about waiting. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. But wait in this scripture is kavar. So we get the sense that the eagle's strength comes from being bound together in God. You know, I love the imagery that the Bible gives about eagles soaring. You know, eagles are really, really good at flying on their own. But in order to soar, they need to get the updrafts of unseen currents underneath their wings. And it's when they catch these unseen currents that they soar with agility and with ease. It's only when the wind gets under its wings that the eagle really becomes what it was created to be. It's when the currents lift the birds high into the sky that it starts to play, live, that it starts to find freedom and it starts to enjoy life in all of its fullness. You know, I can do loads of stuff on my own, but I think where I've got to today is that this morning, I don't want to do anything unless I've got the breeze of the Holy Spirit underneath my wings. You see, dependence on the power of the air is the eagle's greatest strength. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to get the unseen currents of the Holy Spirit underneath your wings, to stop doing stuff in your own strength, but just to rely on him. Because the reality is, there's a world out there that need and it's us isn't it we're the ones who are called to go and meet people at the well not to expect them to walk through the doors on a Sunday morning but as Pete gave in that sort of monastic picture to be involved in everyday ordinary life just living our faith out we need to show a different way and Pete summarised this last week when he was talking about leaving Babylon he says it's about community not buildings it's about a life of worship not an hour on Sunday mornings. It's about all God's people, not a professional leadership. It's about being committed to particular localities or people, following the call of God, 
but also a willingness to be sent, to go, to be places. Following the Spirit as he leads across a region and beyond. It's about allowing him to bring up springs of life in the way that he knows each context needs. And as a church, our foundational scriptures speak of this, don't they? Psalm 84, the valley of Baca turns green as the pilgrims journey across it, heading for the dwelling place of God. Ezekiel 47, the river of life from under the throne flows down into the valley and brings life, trees, healing, fruit and fish. And I was reminded of the prophetic, the prophetic word that Ed brought the other week, that one key is not going to unlock every door. You know, and then the prophetic word that Dwayne brought, it's going to take each holding our blank piece of paper and asking God, what do you want us to write on this? How do you want us to live? Who do you want us to go to? And if we do go, there's no knowing where... <laughs> I can't do the accent. <laughs> no knowing where our feet will get... <laughs> where our feet will get swept off to. Anyway, but as we enter the Lent season, let's commit to waiting on God. I know a lot of you have already started a season of prayer and fasting. Some are fasting once a, once a week. Some are giving up things for the entire length of season. But let's use this time to adore Jesus more. And just to end, I want to say, really heard the gospel message and you don't really know who Jesus is this morning. Can I encourage you this Lent season just to start that journey of exploration? And it starts with just asking God God are you really there who is Jesus and if you're real would you come and start speaking to me start nudging me and start this morning as we worship we're going to go and sing some more songs and we're going to just allow the Holy Spirit just to come and speak to us it's nothing mystical nothing weird it's just you know adoring God and just allowing him to, to do what he does best